Welcome to episode eight of the Find Kristen uh, podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Dennis Mann. And today, we're going to be I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit more about what I know about uh, Jill Lampo. I know for a fact that uh, she's on the Oakland Police Department's radar as possibly having more information about Kristen's case than she's letting on. Uh, on the day that Kristen disappeared, on that uh, June 23rd of 1997, Jill was dating the person of interest, John Onuma, and they were living together on O'Farrell Street. I believe it was 540 O'Farrell Street. And about 10 or 11 months after Kristen disappeared, the Oakland Police Department got a search warrant and they raided Jill and John's home. And one of the things they found during that search was like a diary or a day planner and the name of Matthew Luquet and his phone number was written in that day planner. And it turns out that this guy, Matthew, he ended up working at the same coffee shop that Kristen worked at. Now the, uh, the Bay Area population, I just Googled it, is 7.7 uh, million people, that's in 2020. So, you know, maybe back in 1997, it might've been five or six million. But in a population of millions of people, what are the odds that uh, Jill Lampo is living and dating with a guy named John Onuma, that's a person of interest, and Jill broke up with Matthew Luquet to start dating John Onuma. Matthew Luquet starts working at the same exact coffee shop that Kristen was working at. Now, little asterisk here, just as a reminder, Matthew did not start working at the coffee shop until about a month or so after Kristen disappeared. However, he was a really close friend with one of Kristen's coworkers, a guy named Kelly Stratton. And I have an email from Kelly telling me that Kelly was the one who reached out to Matt and said, hey, why don't you come work at Spinelli's? Um, I can get you a job here. So you got a population of millions of people in the Bay Area, and, and this shows how Kristen could have crossed paths with John Onuma, Jill Lampo, Matthew Luquet through her uh, employment at Spinelli's. So who is Jill Lampo? Well, Jill, you know, normally when you, you get somebody with a, a missing person and, and they don't want to cooperate, um, I don't really have a lot of patience or love for them. Like if you're not going to cooperate, you're trying to find a missing person and basically, you know, you're not on our Christmas list. If there is a possible exception to this case, and a very minor one, is Jill. Jill has been dealt a very, very, very rough hand in life, and it's led to a lot of emotional issues that are clouding some judgment she may be having. And what I'm talking about is Jill was literally, and she'll tell you this, when, when I met Jill, well, first of all, let me tell you how I met Jill. Uh, I was in the Bay Area, and the Monteferries happened to come out to San Francisco one weekend. They would come out on a regular interval, just try to meet with the Oakland Police Department and get Kristen back in the news again. And it was on one of those weekends that they had come out, and I was already out in the Bay Area looking for Kristen. And I spoke to a private eye friend of mine, Tim Haynes. I said, can you tell me where Jill's living now? And he found her in Berkeley. It's on Delaware Avenue. And uh, so I went and I, I knocked on the door, and an older, an older man answered the door with a beard, and I said, hi, my name is Dennis Mann. Is Jill there? And he acted like uh, he didn't never heard of Jill. But in my back pocket, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this private eye who I know is credible, he's, he's got Jill living at this address. So maybe, maybe she had moved, but he was acting like he never even heard of her. And at that point, there was really not, not much I could do. But as I was getting ready to leave, I turned around to him and said, listen, sir, I understand you may be telling me the truth, and maybe you don't know who I am, so he's being protective, protective of Jill. I said, if Jill does live here, 
can you give her a message for me? Just tell her my name is Dennis Mann. And as I'm telling him this, I see a woman poking her head out from behind him. And she, she, she lifts her head up. She goes, are you Dennis Mann, the friend of the Monteferries? Fairies? I said, yes. And she barged right past that man, which turns out to be her cousin. And uh, she goes, Dennis, I am Jill Lampo. I'm so happy to meet you. I've been dying to talk to the Mata Fairies. Please come on in. And boy, was I not expecting that, right? So I walk into her home, very modest home. And at the time, Jill was working out of his house. She was a personal trainer. She had, I remember she had like a, a Stairmaster and, and a couple of uh, workout pieces of equipment. And she had a couple of clients that would come over to the house and she would, she was really meticulous about every measurement of their, of their, their, their health. And she didn't want to talk about Kristen or anything in front of her cousin. So she says, come on back to my room. So I actually went back to her bedroom with her. I've only known her about three minutes. I'm sitting on her bed in her bedroom and her response really caught me off guard. I really thought she was going to be defensive. She was just the opposite. She goes, Dennis, this has been weighing on my heart. I would, I want to help you any way I can. I'd love to talk to the model fairies, but I, I wouldn't know what to say to them. I said, Jill, believe it or not, the, the, the model fairies, they're in town right now. They, they flew out yesterday from uh, North Carolina. I said, uh, would you be willing to talk to them? She was absolutely. I said, do you mind if I call them right now? She said, sure. So I called Bob and Debbie on the phone, and I got the speakerphone on, and and the Monteferries, myself and Jill, were talking. I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. This just never happens, right? So I asked Jill if she'd be willing to meet the Monteferries in person. She goes, sure. So we made an appointment for later that night, like 8 o'clock at night. Now I'm at her house at like 1 or 2 in the afternoon. And, and Jill agreed to meet the Monteferries at the hotel they were staying. They had a, a second floor quiet area where they could just talk. And, and Jill, she showed up right when uh, she said she would. And I took her up, up, the, uh, up the elevator, walked over, and I introduced her to Bob and Debbie. And I said, listen, I'm going to leave you three alone. And I left for a couple hours. Well, when I came back, Jill's face was all red. And evidently, she started bawling. She was crying the whole time. I didn't know it at the time, but I'm sure everybody in our life, we know people that are very emotional and they'll cry at the drop of a hat. Well, that was Jill. But the reason why Jill wanted to meet Bob and Debbie Montefiore it wasn't what I thought. Jill wanted to meet them because she wanted to tell them how much Bob and Debbie destroyed her life because they had mentioned Jill on a local TV news conference. They, they didn't know how to get a hold of Jill at the time. They said, we're looking for this woman named Jill Ample to please come forward. We, we'd like to talk to you. And somehow either Jill saw it or somebody told Jill that they heard her name on the newscast in relation to a missing person and Jill went into a free fall. And she basically spent the whole three hours with the Mata Fairies until crying her eyes out. And uh, one thing that I really admired about um, the Mata Fairies, Bob, these are really decent people. And Bob was like, okay, there's 95% chance this woman's lying to me. But Bob had in his back pocket that, that small percentage chance that maybe she doesn't know anything. And he was trying to reserve an ounce of dignity for, Chris, for, for, for Jill. But Debbie, on the other hand, I guess a woman knows a woman. Debbie wasn't buying any of it. And um, Debbie is a very kind-hearted woman. I'd never seen her, but that night she got into Jill's face and basically said, I'm not buying any of your, your tears. And so, but anyway, so after that, uh, 
I posted online my website at the time, uh, the interaction between the Mata Ferries and Jill. And Jill got very upset at me. She wrote me a letter saying, don't ever contact her again. And she won't talk to me now. But while I was in her bedroom talking to her, Jill explained to me that when she was born, she was abandoned as an infant. And uh, that, that she'd been trying to find her biological parents her whole life, and it was really upsetting. And I mean, I can definitely emphasize with that. That would, that would affect me, I know that. And she said to me, Dennis, I've never been held by my parents who gave, who gave me my life. My mother gave birth to me. I've never been held by her. And she says, I need to find out who my mom was. So this was this is significant because years later this was going to come into effect. I was back in North Carolina, and I get an email from a guy saying, "Listen, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but I was just contacted out of the blue by a woman who says she's my sister, and I don't know anything about it." And so I googled her name and I found your website, so I'm contacting you. And uh, his name was Larry. And Larry kind of filled in some of the backstory, but Larry wanted to make sure that he wasn't contacting me because he wanted any money. Um, Larry's just a good guy. Of all the people I've ever met in all my years working for Kristen, Larry's one of my favorite. He's just, he's as decent as a guy as, as ever was born, just a nice guy. And he said to me, at first he didn't believe Jill. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, and you know, they ended up hanging up. And the first thing Larry did when he got home, he went and spoke to his mother and said, Ma, I got this crazy phone call today. This woman says that um, she's my biological sister. I said, you know anything about that? And the mother kind of laughed it off and said, oh my God, there's crazy people in the world. I don't know anything about that. Well, Jill, and here I don't really blame her. The more Jill, because of the internet, she was, she was constantly researching, 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 just putting pieces of puzzle together. And now that she sensed that she was on the right path there was no stopping her so she kept on calling Larry back over and over and over and the more she would talk to Larry the more Larry started to wait maybe there's some truth here so Larry goes back to his mother and this time the mother comes clean she says Larry we have a deep dark secret um, I gave birth to a young girl many years ago but 1971 I believe it was and uh, we decided to give the baby up for adoption we never talked about it and so now Larry's blown away. Now Larry, you know, Larry this time, he's in his late 30s, I think. And he's just realizing he has a biological sister he never knew about. So Larry's mind is blown. And now Jill is constantly calling Larry. And, and if I was Jill, I'd be doing the same thing. So no problem there. And what the story I'm being told is, is um, back in 1970, Larry's mother, um, it was, it was a, a drug deal, part of a drugs for sex type of deal. And she got pregnant by this guy that was black and she was white. And in 1970, that was more taboo than it is today. And she, she ended up giving birth to this child. And the mother's brother said, I know how to, I know what to do about this. And so they came up with a plan. Now, this is way before the internet. You couldn't get away with this today. But back in 1970, they went to a, a local grocery store. And they put this one-day-old infant in the backseat of their car. And they go into the grocery store and start shopping. And when they came out, they act like, oh, my God, somebody put a baby in our car. And they freak out, right? 
And so they call the police. The police come. Social services get involved. The local newspaper gets involved. And they put a picture of a, this infant, this abandoned infant in the newspaper, asking for people who had any information to come forward. Well, and by the way, if you go to findkristen.com, episode 8, I have a photograph of that newspaper article you can see for yourself. And so what happened is this very, very loving couple, Mr. and Mrs. Lampo, saw the story, and they came forward, and they adopted Jill. And they gave Jill a great home. And these are very, very successful people. They had a beautiful home. They, they afforded Jill everything. But just like any child, you're going to want to know where your biological parents are. And so that was always a bone of contention as Jill grew up. She said, I want to know who my real mom and dad is. The, the, the Lampos just say, listen, where are your parents now? We'll put that to rest. But Jill wouldn't give up. And when the internet came along, she found out what was going on. And then that made her contact her brother, Larry. And so, you know, <clears throat> that's kind of where things stand for many years. Now, when Larry contacted me, I, I started giving him all the background information on Kristen. Now, it gets important. Now we're... Or uh, I'm guessing this was right around 2010 when all this broke. So, you know, Kristen disappears in 1997. So that's 13 years after Kristen disappeared. Well, on June 5th of 2012, so now we're 15 years after Kristen disappeared, I get just an amazing, amazing email. What had happened was Jill now is learning about her biological family and she's she's connecting with with cousins and everything and uh, Larry had a sister named Kelly and Kelly had a husband named Tony so Kelly and Tony well they had a child and it was his birthday and Jill had called the house to wish the child a happy birthday and then after the happy birthdays were were exchanged uh, the father his name is Tony Romo not the football player the same name but he goes by Anthony or AJ, gets on the phone, and Jill starts talking to AJ, and what, what transpires is like a three or four hour phone call. And Jill is having an emotional breakdown, according to Kelly and Tony. And she starts by telling Tony all the things that had gone wrong in her life, and she starts with being abandoned as a baby. And again, I sympathize with Jill big time with this. And at some point, thank God, Anthony gets out a pen and paper and starts writing down notes. And after the phone call ends, Anthony looks at his wife and says, Jill just told me enough to put her away for life. But Tony, for whatever reason, didn't want to get involved. It happens in this world. Luckily, one of the greatest things that ever happened to the Mata Ferry family is the wife, Kelly, said BS on that. And so she goes and she Googles Jill Lampo, finds my website, and she contacts me. And Kelly had gotten a couple copies of the notes that her husband made, and she sent them to me. And it was in those notes where Jill says that while she was living in San Francisco, she assisted uh, a very controlling man in an unspeakable kidnap and murder, and that the guilt was killing her. So she sends me those notes. And of course, I give it to the Mataferries and to the Oakland Police Department and the FBI. And um, I do know for a fact that the Oakland police went down, they interviewed um, Kelly and AJ, and they also interviewed uh, Jill. I don't, I'm not privy to what went on in those interviews, so I really don't know any more than that. 
um, and Jill was not arrested. So uh, there may be some plausible explanation. And the other thing I want to say that for many, many years, I just assumed when she said, uh, uh, I just assumed she was talking about John and Newman. Maybe she was. Maybe she was. The only thing I can quote right now, she says, I was dating a controlling man. And that fits Onuma to a T, but she didn't say John Onuma. And again, if you go to the website, episode eight, I'll have, I'll have those notes up there. It's also on episode seven, you can see it. Uh, but I recently had a Kristen Mataferi supporter said, I realize it's probably John Onuma, but it may be that guy, Matthew Lucay. And I actually never thought of that. Because remember, Jill told me she was dating Matthew Lucay. She broke up with him to start dating John Anuma. And as far as I know, there was only only two boyfriends that Jill had in the summer of 1997. It was, or, or, you know, January through through June of 97. It was Matthew Lucay and it was John Anuma. Now, me personally, my money's on. She was referring to John Anuma. But um, like I said, I did have that Christian supporter out there and she did mention that. So, So anyway... When I, when I met Jill, she told me that she was jogging out in front of the Museum of Modern Art, and that's where she met John Onuma. That's her story. Whether it's true or not, that's what she told me. And it was during that same conversation, I still remember her looking at me saying, Dennis, you know, um, before Onuma, I used to date uh, Matthew Okay, but, but I broke up with him. I only went, she told me she only went out with Matthew one time. I think that's right. I'm going on memory in that one. But she said that she dated Lucay and then she broke up with him to start dating Onuma. And that's really significant. That's a, that's a big deal because uh, you always need to find out if Kristen came into contact in her 23 days while she was in the Bay Area with any of the persons of interest. And, and this satisfies that requirement. So remember, Kristen disappears on June 23rd in 97. Lucay doesn't start working at Spinelli's until about a month later, maybe July or August. So that would preclude him from being in that 35 to 50 subset of people Kristen may have known. But here's where the connection is made. Uh, Kristen worked side by side with a guy named Kelly Stratham. And Kelly was really close friends with uh, Matthew Lucay and his brother Michael. And it was Kelly. I have an email from Kelly. He said that he was the one who told Matthew to come work at Spinelli's. So... That's how I believe that John O'Neill and Jill Lampo came into contact with Kristen, if they are, in fact, involved in her disappearance. Now, just yet another disclaimer, I've got to sprinkle them. I don't know what happened to Kristen. Did Onuma and Jill Lampo, did they have anything to do with her disappearance? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just telling you the information that's coming to me, and I'm sharing with you what I know. So I'll let you make up your own minds. Now, I tried calling Jill about a year ago, as soon as she... Heard my voice, she knew who I was, immediately just hung up the phone. So uh, that door has been closed to me. But uh, one thing that remains open is something that an FBI agent once told me. He said, Dennis, except in the most rare, rare, rare circumstances, the guilty person, they always talk. They've got to get it off the chest and they tell people stuff. And this has been proven to be true with uh, John Onuma. In one of his other victims, when he said, you know, I'm going to have to kill you now. I'm going to I'm gonna have to treat you like Kristen Montefiore. I can't let you go. So he, he told that girl what he was going to do. Now, she got away from him, thank God. And, you know, Jill, like she called her uncle. 
And she told her uncle that while she was living in San Francisco, she was dating a controlling man who convinced her to assist in an unspeakable kidnap and murder, and that the guilt was killing her. And uh, I do know that Jill has reached out to other people. She says she wants to come forward with information, but she doesn't trust the Oakland Police Department. She doesn't trust the FBI. She's holding on to some piece of information. She just needs somebody to trust. And uh, uh, Jill eventually, she'll, she'll hear this podcast and you don't want anything to do with me, fine. But Jill, um, I have told a lot of people this. You're the reason why things are not going perfect in life. Is it, happened, uh, it happened to you on day one of your life. And I get that. So that's not make-believe hard. If that's a really serious setback that not too many people I know could could successfully handle being abandoned as a, as a day-old infant. And, uh, so you do have my sympathy there. Now, you know, what happened, uh, that was uh, July 10th of 1971. Now you go, what happened on June 23rd in 97, uh, Kristen Mataferi, and I'm sure you understand this, she has to come first. Above and beyond you being abandoned as a day-old baby, that's terrible, but what happened to Kristen Mataferi is, is even more terrible. So it, it's, uh, it's not unreasonable for us to want to find out what happened. And if you know information, you could still be the hero in this case. And a lot of people will have sympathy for you because they'll understand the position you've been put in. Now, the one thing about Onuma, if you look at him, I mean, the guy's five foot three, 130 pounds. There's nothing to him. And to see Jill, Jill is a stoner. Jill's gorgeous. And I remember when I was sitting in Jill's bedroom, I said, Jill, I don't understand something. I don't, what is a girl like you doing with a guy like Anuma? And when I said that, she put her hands in her face and she bent her head. She was, I know, I know, Dennis, I know. I asked myself the same thing. But she told me that she loved music. And Onuma, for all his faults, he, he's, he, he knows his way around a keyboard, a piano, a guitar. He's very good at music. And there was a very, very expensive keyboard in Jill's apartment or her bedroom. She goes, that actually is, she told me that was Onuma's keyboard. And she, she told me that uh, she had to get away from him. So she called her cousin, the guy she's living with over in Berkeley. And she said, listen, Onuma's not home right now. Come on over. So he drove over with his truck and they loaded everything they can get in one truckload. And they got out of there and they never looked back. And that's what Jill's story is. And um, she said there was even more stuff there, but I, I couldn't, I didn't want to risk making a second trip. So now she told me that, that she never looked back. Um, we know for a fact that in the years gone by, she still communicates with Anuma. So she was not being honest with me there, but that, that, that's her business. All, all I care about is Kristen and what her role may have been. Uh, now, nobody thinks, including me, that Jill did not, I don't think she hurt anybody. If, if Kristen met with foul play on that day, and Anuma's involved, clearly Anuma was the ringleader, if he's involved. Now, again, I, I really don't know, but I, I, just, I just know that Anuma made that phone call, and he said that the... Uh, Two women killed Kristen. They dumped her body off a wooden bridge up in Point Reyes, which is over the Golden Gate Bridge. And those two women were employees of the YMCA where Jill Lampa worked. So it's, it's all the same bowl of soup there, basically. 
All right, well, that's uh, episode eight, and we'll look at Matthew Lecay in the next episode. But uh, Jill and Onuma, both of you, anytime you want, you can come on this podcast. I will air what you say unedited, and uh, I'll let you make your own case. And Jill, if you hear my voice, I don't care if it's been 23, 24 years, you still are in a unique position to be a hero in this case. We would have preferred you'd done it in 97, but even in 2020, if you come forward and help the Monteferis get their child back, um, it's going to be a tremendous amount of, of uh, redemption. and you, you, you can feel good about the life you're living. We'll be eternally grateful to you. So uh, please keep that in mind. Anybody want to reach me? Uh, Dennis Mann. My phone number is 914-483-7214. 24 hours a day, you call me. Uh, DennisMann at Yahoo.com. The website is find Kristen, K-R-S-T-E-N, and um, the podcast on your on your iPhone. Just do a search for find Kristen, and, and you'll find it there. And if, if you also, if you want, you can reach out to Officer Bradley Young of the Oakland Police Department. He's leading up the investigation for Kristen now. And let me get that number for you. Okay, that, that number is uh, 510-238-3320. Just ask for Sergeant. Bradley Young, Special Victims Section of the Oakland Police Department. Thank you all.